Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, we celebrate this weekend the wonderful feast of the Ascension of the Lord, a feast that in many ways brings to a close the Easter season. I know it's followed by Pentecost, the sending of the Spirit, and I'll talk about that. But the Ascension represents, if you want, the the closing of Jesus' public earthly ministry. So what begins at the Annunciation and Christmas now comes to a conclusion with his ascension into heaven. Now, here's the thing, everybody, about the ascension of the Lord. I I do think it's one of the most misunderstood features of Christian life, one of the most misunderstood uh, feasts. And here's what I mean. We tend to think of the ascension as Jesus going up, up, and away. I know I'm kind of dating myself. That's a song from the 1960s when I was a little kid. There's a popular song called Up, Up, and Away. And so that's what it means, I guess, that Jesus you know, used to be with us, and now there he goes up into the heavens and bye-bye to Jesus. Well, I want to suggest to you that's precisely what it doesn't mean, that he was here and now he's gone. In the manner of, let's say, any great hero or, or philosopher or teacher or historical figure who was once here and is now gone and is sort of a distant memory or an inspiration from the past. That's precisely what we don't mean when we say that Jesus ascended into heaven. Okay, so what does it mean? Well, take a look at our first reading, which is from the magnificent Acts of the Apostles, you know, which is volume two of St. Luke's two-volume work, the first volume being the Gospel of Luke, but then the Acts of the Apostles, which commences with an account of the ascension, because that's the hinge between the life and ministry of Jesus on earth and now the life and work of the church under the guidance of Jesus. And that's the key now, everybody, to understanding the ascension. So listen now, as St. Luke tells us what he's, what he's about. He says, in the first book, Theophilus, he's addressing, that's a great mystery, by the way, who is Theophilus? But in the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up. So there's the Gospel of Luke, volume one. He presented himself alive to them by many proofs after he had suffered, appearing to them during 40 days. So that's the, you know, the culmination of Jesus' life and work is the resurrection. Then he says, while meeting with them, he enjoined them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father about which you've heard me speak. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now see, this is the hinge, isn't it, everybody? As Jesus' earthly ministry comes to a close, as he ascends into heaven, it's now the moment for the sending of the Holy Spirit. Why, why? For the animation of the church. So there's the key, volume one, Gospel of Luke, about the life and ministry of Jesus here. Now volume two, 
And see, we're part of volume two, aren't we? Because we're also apostles, those who've been sent by the Spirit of Jesus. So at this point now, we hear of the ascension of the Lord. When he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him from their sight. While they were looking intently at the sky as he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. They said, men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking at the sky? Now, this is, this is it. This is the heart of it. See, what don't we do when Jesus ascends to heaven? We don't just stand there gazing up at him. Now, now, we, his disciples, await the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we might continue his work and ministry on earth. So here's the thing. Did he go up, up, and away? Bye-bye to Jesus. There he goes. And now he's a distant historical memory. No, no. He went, if I can put it this way, to a place of command. Think now, this is a little bit outdated given our military technology, but think back in like the 19th century during the Civil War or the Napoleonic War. What did commanders do? People like Napoleon or Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson, people like that, is they would tend to seize the high ground so they could then survey the totality of the battlefield. Right From that high point, they could now survey the campaign. So think of the ascension of Jesus, not as his going away, but his going to a place of command where he is now going to direct the great work of his church. And I use that military example for a couple of reasons. And one is that, let's face it, it's an ongoing struggle. So the church is going to be involved in this struggle against the forces of, of evil up and down the ages. But see, the good news is we have a commander who has taken his place on the heights and now directs the work of the church. Now, listen with that in mind to part of our second reading, which is, again, is from that wonderful letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Listen now. In accord with the exercise of his great might, which he worked in Christ, raising him from the dead, the Father seated him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every principality, authority, power, and dominion. He put all things beneath his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. Now, we could spend a, a lifetime unpacking the fullness of that. But you know, isn't it wonderful, everybody, that every time we recite the creed, we use this line that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, don't literalize as though there's a, there's a big chair in heaven where he sits. It's a symbolic um, reference. In the ancient world, they knew that the one who was seated at the right hand of the king was something like a prime minister someone who is directing the concrete affairs of the state. So the session of Jesus, to use the technical term, the, the sitting of Jesus at the right hand of the Father, doesn't mean, oh yeah, he's gone, 
know, we're out, we're doing our hard work and he's, he's up there somewhere seated with the father. No, 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 no. On the contrary, it means from his heightened place, he's now seated in the position of command over the army of the church directing its work. So now see everybody in the ascended Jesus, the source of the power and direction of the church up and down the ages. Whether it's Origen and Chrysostom and Jerome, Augustine doing their theological work, whether it's Anthony being led into the desert to do his deep work of prayer, whether it's Thomas Aquinas engaging his own form of cultural uh, struggle, whether it's Ignatius of Loyola, whether it's the little flower doing her very powerful spiritual work in the little uh, Carmel in northwest France, whether it's John Paul II going up against the powers of the Soviet Union. See, all of these now are disciples of Jesus being directed by Christ from his seat in heaven, if I can put it that way. That's the ascended Jesus. Now, mind you, from that place in heaven, what does he do? He sends the Holy Spirit. It's good for you that I go, Jesus says in John. Right? It's good for you that I go. Why? Because if I don't go, I, you won't have the advocate. You won't have the spirit. The ascended Jesus sends his spirit into the church and then directs the work of the church. That, I think, everybody, is the central message of the ascension. And can I say now, just in the last couple of minutes I have, one other, I think, key idea about the ascension of Jesus. How wonderful and how strange that we hold as a matter of, of doctrine that our puny human nature has been drawn up into the heavenly realm. So, as I've said a thousand times to you, Christianity is not a Platonist uh, system whereby, oh, it's the escape of the soul from the body. That's what it's all about. No, no. No, no. It's the resurrection of the body and now the ascension of Jesus into the heavenly realm, body and soul, in the totality of his humanity. Our grubby, lowly human nature is now invited into this transfigured heightened state of existence that we call heaven. See, think about this for a minute. Think of an eight or nine-year-old kid, and you were to ask him, hey, what's, what's the best thing you can imagine? You know, what's the best day you could imagine? He'd probably say something like, you know, with my buddies, we played a great baseball game and we won. Afterwards, we went to the, you know, the Dairy Queen and we all had ice cream together. And then that night, we, we stayed up a little bit late and we watched a great movie. Right? For a nine-year-old kid, that's probably it. That's the best thing he could imagine. Now, if you tried to explain to that nine-year-old kid the, the glories of, of appreciating a great work of art or getting lost in a rich novel or, or really entering into a friendship that involves the sharing of mind and heart or the joys of, of married life, et cetera, et cetera, if you tried to explain that to a nine-year-old, he just wouldn't understand what you're talking about. It, it's beyond his frame of reference. You know what I mean? So, the ascended Jesus, our humanity brought now to this higher pitch of existence, 
Paul says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. What's the best thing we can imagine? Well, I just went through some of them, right? From, from aesthetic experience to, to sexual experience and experience of intimacy and friendship and all the best things in life. Okay, okay. But see, we're a bit like that nine-year-old kid. That's the best we can imagine. But what's being held out to us as our fondest and greatest realization? The ascension of the Lord speaks to that truth. Does that make sense? And how wonderful, therefore, it awakens our sense of longing, our sense of, of wonder and mystery. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard. Even, even the greatest among us can't imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. That's the that wonderful longing at the heart of this Feast of the Ascension. So we long, we hope, we aspire, and we get to work because we're now in the great army being directed by the ascended Lord who from his seated place in heaven guides the work of the church. You see how it means the opposite of up, up, and away. It means men of Galilee get to work. And that's all of us now doing the great work of the church. So friends, enjoy this wonderful Feast of the Ascension and may God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.